0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at AskChrisShelton at Um, gmail.com. You know, I'm back now in Denver. I've been gone for a week. It feels like a much longer period of time, especially with all that uh, long-distance travel going literally halfway around the world and back. Uh, during that time. Most amazing trip of my life. Absolutely changed my life. I've made two, not one, two videos about it. Um, I made one while I was out there and then I did a live stream yesterday when I got back and uh, talked about the experience. If you have not seen those then um, you you really don't know what you're missing. You Please check those videos out because they are Absolutely uh, essential viewing, really, as far as I'm concerned, about the journey that I have been going on for the last four years since I got out of Scientology, and uh, very, very special both to me personally, to others uh, that I, you know, like my son that I that I went and met, and um, and just something that I think uh, is a big uh, victory in many, many ways uh, for me in, uh, in this, you know, ongoing process of, of acclimation and recovery and whatever else you want to call it. Um, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what to call it anymore, but, uh, but this was a, a very special experience for me and, um, something that I think will, uh, continue to, uh, have me thinking and, and looking and, and uh and talking about you know so i don't know kind of get used to it on my channel uh if you (laughs) because i might be i might be on this for a little while um uh you know not to harp or 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 you know beat down on on these points or anything but just in terms of uh of uh you know the the significance of it and and like i talked about yesterday with uh with Scientology and disconnection and how realizing through this journey, uh, through this trip, that, that everyone in Scientology is disconnected from their life by being a Scientologist. You know, uh, it's true of all destructive cults. So anyway, lots to say there. But for now, let's go ahead and get on with your questions because that's kind of the point of the show. I just wanted to plug those, uh, those videos and what's happened to me over this last week because it was pretty exciting and something I want you guys to know about. And really that's why uh, that's there. So let's get on with your questions. Chris Compton. Hi, Chris. I just finished watching Q&A number 129 and heard you say how much you loved movies. I recently watched one of my favorites, V for Vendetta. And I noticed a direct correlation between the movie and what people like you, Leah, Mike, Aaron, and everyone else that tells their stories to whoever will listen. It is the point in the movie where Evie finds the letter in the rat hole of her cell and it turns out to be the life story of another prisoner she has never met, but it gives her the strength to carry on and do what is necessary. I would love to hear your thoughts on this as it is a very powerful bit of cinema to me personally, but I also think that it portrays the love and hope that you and all the others that put their stories out there have for those still trapped by the cult. In essence, you are pushing letters into the crack in the cell wall where they are waiting to be found by that next person desperate to break free. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, this is a really interesting and, and great question and, and point to, to bring up, and, and thank you for that. Um, I love V for Vendetta. I always have. And I've always thought that it had a direct relationship, uh, you know, in, in the anti authoritarian and dictatorial message, uh, very George Orwell 1984 type message. Uh, was, was very special, very necessary for every generation to hear and uh, especially the current one. I've, I, I know we're not, you know, here in the United States we're not living in any kind of authoritarian dictatorship. I'm not that far gone. But I see signs and indicators of it around and I think you'd have to be a fool not to. Um, so, in all aspects of, of life, on, on all sides, on the left and the right, politically, too, okay, just so everybody doesn't get all their panties in a wad on this, about oh, Chris is off on a liberal tangent again. I, I see it everywhere. I see it on all sides and um, and, the, and the, the message of my channel here and of the videos that I've made is not just a Scientology one but this question of course deals with that and let's go ahead and dive in on that one. When I first started doing my channel I had the idea of trying to reach people who were still in. After about a year I realized that that wasn't going to really bear a lot of fruit that I was going to at least see or hear about. Uh, If I was reaching people who were in, then that was great. But I started realizing that there was a a broader need for an anti-totalitarian message to the world at large. And so I started, um, you know, trying to tailor the message more in that direction and talking to those who have never been in Scientology and never been part of it and uh, trying to talk about both Scientology and other destructive cults and the traits and characteristics of them and what they're all about as a warning to, you know, an education and a warning to not get involved in any such group. And I thought education about Scientology might help in, um, you know, in accomplishing that purpose. And I thought that reaching out to other destructive cult members, former members from other groups, uh, interviewing them, talking with them, contrasting and comparing Scientology to them uh, might also help broaden the view of, of uh, what I'm trying to accomplish here. And so that's what I've you know proceeded to do. And I never really thought about it in such poetic terms as you put it in the question here. I never really thought about it in a V for Vendetta way because uh, I don't really look at myself that heroically. But, uh, but, you know, obviously the comparisons are there to be made. Scientology is dictatorial. It is authoritarian. I did live under that system. And it was not fun. It was not a good experience. And it's not something that I would like to see anybody else have to, have to live through or live under. Um, so yeah, I would definitely draw parallels between the messages that I've been leaving here in my videos for the last few years and the message that Evie got in her cell about how, you know, choosing to live with ones in, you know, the the messages of, of V for Vendetta, there are so many themes to it. Um, and integrity, right, living with, uh, being true to yourself, even if you are threatened with death or, or horrible consequences for being true to yourself is very much a theme. And I, uh, I feel that that's a theme that certainly is, uh, runs through those who have escaped from destructive cults is they find that they reached a point, you know, people can and, and maybe should be critical of those who are part of these destructive cults and come to realize that they Uh, Through through something that happens to them, uh, usually personal, the the destructive cult member, uh, you know, wakes up, finds out that something isn't right with this group, or or reaches a tipping point, reaches a breaking point, and exits. Right, and then some of us, you know, speak out about it, Um, but and you can look at those people critically as well you know it had to affect them personally before they would get out how come they couldn't see otherwise well I invite any of you to look at you know the various things that you favor or are you know biased towards in your life and ask yourself how critical you are of those things right I mean you know let's just go back and forth on that a little bit It's easy to be critical of somebody. It's easy to be critical of ourselves in hindsight for what we didn't see before, and now we can see. Um, But there's a point also of uh, to be validated about people who escape from these cults, uh, which is that they reached a point where they had to make a choice about being true to themselves, or being, you know, compromising their integrity, or their sense of honor or self. or or who they are, or their identity, right? And it's hard in a destructive cult because your identity is reshaped while you're in that cult. It is reformed into the personality and ideals of the cult leader. And they're no longer, you know, you are are to that degree that you accept that and take that into yourself and and change yourself. You are no longer you. So it's quite a thing to reach that, to, to hit a point where you are... You know you're at a you're at a crossroads. You have to decide what you're going to do, and I I bring this up because, like for example, for those who have seen the movie, this this story that Evie is told is in this little with these notes in the cell is one of a uh, a woman who loved another woman, and the state came down on her and tortured her and made her life hell and eventually killed her because of her beliefs, her desires, her, her her what who she chose to love. And that was her choice. She could have recanted. She could have said no, okay, I'll change my mind, I, you know, gone along with the flow as so many of us do in so many circumstances in life. And she said no. This is this is a point that I'm not going to do that anymore or I'm not going to do that at all. And that's the point we reach you know, in Scientology when we escape from it. Um, And I think it, I I almost, you know, think it requires that kind of test in order to hit that point where you have to question what's going on. I mean, what does that mean? You question what's going on. Well, it means that something happened to you that tests your own sense of self and integrity. So anyway, point made on that. And I think that that is a good parallel. So, um, So I see now that having come out of that and through that, Uh, I'm perfectly happy to draw a parallel or comparison between what I'm doing on my channel and leaving these notes out there for anyone to see. Part of, you know, anyone of any group at any time, hopefully for, you know, ever. I mean, who knows how long the internet and YouTube are going to last and how long my channel will be around, but certainly, you know, hopefully, uh, I hope for many, many years to come. And I hope that these messages that I've been leaving here in the the way of my videos do reach people maybe that I can't even predict right now will need them, uh, both with critical thinking and with the lessons of, you know, Scientology and coming out of that. And, uh, you know, and if that happens and and this work ends up being more broadly applicable than, than how I see it right now, well, damn, that would just be awesome. Uh, so, you know, I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot. Your question obviously got my, got my wheels turning here, and, uh, and I hope that this is a good. these, are, these thoughts are of, of some use to, you know, you, Chris, who asked the question, and others who are watching. So, there you go. Jan, I often wonder how could L. Ron Hubbard think that he knew what had happened trillions of years ago? And how could somebody believe this so obvious nonsense? This teaching seems to be an indicator that Hubbard was delusional, don't you think? Well, yeah, I do think Hubbard was delusional, but, you know, delusion is a quite, a, quite an interesting thing. It's a, it's a state of mind, but it's also a, uh, you know, based on if you're going to, you know, look at somebody and say, well, are you delusional or not? You're going to evaluate how they're seeing the world against how you're seeing the world. And if how you're seeing the world is so perfect and sane and rational... Uh, and you're so 100% sure of that, then I guess you can, uh, you know, draw that conclusion. But we base our facts and our ideas uh, and what we accept as true quite a bit on, uh, as I think as Obi-Wan Kenobi said in, in, in Return of the Jedi, uh, a, a great deal on our, on our point of view, right? Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our point of view. And when I, for example, you know, was, I I have to answer this question by saying, sure, L. Ron Hubbard was delusional, but so was I, Uh, because I bought fully, fully into the idea that we as spiritual entities have existed for a near infinity of time in the past. And the sales job to, to, to buy that particular piece of information wasn't particularly a really hard sell. If you believe that you are a spiritual entity or being who has lived, you know, who who occupies this body, then you go, okay, was I born with this body as a spiritual entity? Well, if the answer that your faith relies on is no, you've had other bodies in the past, then... That immediately opens the door to the idea that you could have lived millions, billions, or even trillions of years. Or an an infinity of time. You've always been around. And you'll always be around. And that's actually a pretty comforting thought. It's not hard to see why somebody would buy into that. Almost all religions are selling immortality. The idea of continuing on past the death of this body. And that's a that is an idea that gives a lot of people in this world, billions of people, a lot of comfort. The specifics of what that immortality is going to consist of vary from one religion to another, but the fundamental belief that there is immortality and that they w- that we will continue to live on, almost all religions have that in common. So. Sure, Hubbard was delusional, I was delusional, but do I now get to say that every single Christian who watches this channel is delusional? Well, I'm not saying that, but according to this question, maybe I should. I mean, I don't know, right? How far do you take it? It all depends on your point of view. And these are things that we can talk about and and subjectively argue about all day long. Because there's no factual basis on which to say yay or nay to such a question as to whether we are spiritual beings or whether we have lived before, whether we will live again. Right? These, there's no proof of it one way or the other. There are lots of questions, lots and lots and lots of questions uh, that we can bring up and talk about all day long, like I said. so But without hard proof one way or the other, is it delusion? Right. Well, I've chosen to now change my beliefs about you know, whether I'm a, a spiritual entity and whether I have lived billions or trillions of years in the past, and I have chosen to now say, you know, I think that's pretty delusional because I look at all the things and all the reasons why I believe that, and I have changed my mind and perspective on why I believed those things, and therefore I, I gave up those beliefs. Uh, This is why I say belief is a choice, because I I can choose my beliefs. I now have some degree of hope that maybe there might be something more, and wouldn't that be nice? But I don't cling to that as a, a, a point of faith. I won't argue about that with anybody, because I have no proof or anything to fall back on with that. So... That's also why I respect other people's beliefs when it comes to that. And don't just say that all Christians, Muslims, Hindus, or everybody else are all a bunch of delusional nutcases. I don't say that because I don't think that that's, I don't think I have a leg to stand on to say that sort of thing, right? So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I I don't mean to poo-poo this question. Uh, It's a good question. It's perfectly legitimate. But I think that, You know, I'd I'd love to have a a more in-depth discussion with the person, Jan, who asked this question about, well, what do you believe? And how are you so sure that what you believe is or is not delusional, right? Uh, It's just a, you know, it's just one of those philosophy 101 debate type questions. I don't mean any offense by this. I'm not trying to antagonize anybody, but I'm just sort of calling into question, how do we know? How do we know? And how do we know what we know? Right? And why do we think these things? These are, these are fascinating topics and, uh, and definitely worthy of discussion. And so, anyway, that's just a little bit of contribution to that that I think, uh, that I hope gives some uh, broader context to the, co- the whole idea of belief and, uh, and what's true and what's not. Tammy, I often sit in a cafe near the Dianetics Center in London and I observe the body routers on the pavement in front of the center doing their job. There's a lot of foot traffic, a very diverse cross-section of people, and I noticed that when handing out their flyers, the body routers appear to focus on young, non-English looking people, especially Asians. Indeed, I sometimes walk by the body routers myself, and as a middle-aged white person they completely ignore me. I imagine they are attempting to target people who are less likely to have heard of Scientology before. Would these body routers actually be instructed to target certain groups of people? Or is the choice of target a personal decision made by the body routers to increase their statistics? Yeah, body routing. Ooh, I used to hate doing that. And body routing, of course, is the practice of Scientologists who stand outside the churches or the test centers and they try to, you know, bring people into the church in order to do their introductory services. They call this body routing. They're routing bodies, right? old practice and then by far the most successful or one of the most successful practices for bringing new people into Scientology through the 1960s and 70s and 80s. As word got out and as the internet grew and blossomed and as as, uh, the stories of abuse and things that go on behind closed doors in Scientology became more common knowledge, body routing has tended to uh, become less successful of an activity. And is something that is uh, that is not really uh, done a lot uh, in the you know all around the world. And Scientologists generally know that there is this negative reaction to Scientology, and they don't like it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to ans- be forced to deal with tough questions that they don't really have the answers to. And you know, by far, a lot of people who come by. Uh, you know, the, the orgs walking by on the streets, they ask the tough questions. Xenu, South Park, is it true? Did Hubbard really make a bet to start a religion? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that fly at these body routers, and some of them are, are honestly honest questions, other ones are just snarky remarks, but the body routers hate all of it because they kind of, they, they feel, Ugh, you know, and uh, and you have to be pretty ballsy and pretty confident and uh, pretty smooth as a Scientologist to get out there and deal with that for hours and hours and hours on end, day after day after day, without it, you know, kind of eroding your certainty and wearing you down. So this is this. That's why this is kind of dropped off. I don't know now whether body routers are being told specifically to target certain cultural groups or, or racial groups or something like that. I kind of doubt it. They don't usually get that, that kind of instruction. Uh, body routing from, what, from when I was in at least, and this is as of a couple years ago, was focused very much on uh, you know, control. You're supposed to get in front of somebody. You're supposed to control their body, control their thoughts, uh, penetrate right? Uh, Don't persuade, penetrate, right? You know, you get in there with your, what they call tone 40 intention, meaning you're going to, you know, you're going to get there and you're going to get that guy and you're going to get him in, right? And you're going to like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you're going to get him in there, right? Uh, And uh, in other words, tone 40 is supposed to be intention without reservation. There's not supposed to be any back off on your part as a Scientologist to get this person into the building and get them signed up for the services that L. Ron Hubbard says are going to rehabilitate them spiritually. So, they're, um, so that's sort of the, the instruction that body routers get is sort of a general purpose kind of instruction to deal with anybody who comes in front of them. Now, that all being said, experience also plays a part. And so body routers who run into a lot of trouble with educated Westerners might feel that maybe, you know, not so educated uh, on Scientology, I mean, not so, you know, uh, internet savvy or not so uh, South Park watching or not, you know, people who don't watch Leah's show or something like that uh, might tend to be more, you know, minority groups. I, I don't know, you know, I haven't seen the demographics or breakdowns on these things. But, uh, but according to your question, this is something you've observed in London specifically, so perhaps that's a thing, right? And maybe London gets more success by uh, specifically targeting Asians or minorities than they do targeting Londoners, right? Or, you know, white uh, uh, UK folk, right? I don't know. I don't know what, those, what the, <laughs> I don't know what the names for all these groups are, but you get the idea. Um, so it's possible that they are getting that kind of instruction, but probably it's more based on what they find easier to deal with uh, and it might not be the racial or you know, ethnicity at all. It might be the fact that the body router is six foot tall and he's only routing in people who are five foot you know, six or below. right? He's, he, he can deal with short people better than they can deal with taller people or something. Oh, you know, the, the, the reasons for why a body router might be backed off from dealing with certain kinds of people could be you know, as varied as there are people. So, uh, that's what I can say about body routing in, in London. Melissa Moresca. I see stand, Scientologists taking action against discrimination, propaganda everywhere lately. I see Scientologists coming out of the woodwork, making statements against Leah, Mike, and the Aftermath show. Blah, blah, blah. What is glaringly absent, as always, is a personal statement or address from the leader, David Miscavige, to not only his flock, but to the world about what he believes makes his religion great. Why should we read or believe statements from any Joe Blow and any special interest group if the leader of that group is not confident enough to step up and be heard? I know he won't defend, but say something, anything, anything at all. Why will this never happen? Will he just let Scientology sink under the waves without personally standing up for his group? All right, well, uh, good question here. And the Stand uh, propaganda, that's the—that's this website that Scientology has put together, and they and they, they throw out just, you know, uh, sort of boilerplate articles about religious discrimination and how they're standing up against it. And uh, it's pretty ridiculous uh, <laughs> because they, they're supposedly standing up against hate and bigotry, but when you look at the pages on the Stand site about... Critics of Scientology, you see some pretty hateful uh, text and messaging there about these people. Uh, but regardless of that, so much for taking the high road. Um, as far as David Miscavige goes, he he does address Scientologists. Okay, so if uh, it sounded from your question like you think he's hiding somewhere and nobody and nobody ever hears from him, and that's not true. Scientologists hear from David Miscavige all the time. He goes out seven or eight times a year during these uh, international events, and he goes up on stage and opens up the Ideal Orgs. I think he just opened up Birmingham and uh, I, up in Ireland. They opened up that office recently. And So Miscavige is, is not idle. He is simply uh, <laughs> incompetent. But he also is deathly afraid of being asked the hard questions. And so he won't go before... Uh, news media, right, Uh, non-Scientology news media, right, he won't go out and do another Nightline, even though he could get on any of those shows in a second. If David Miscavige said, I want to come on 2020, or I want to go on Nightline, or I want to go on the Today Show, or I want to, you know, whatever, go on MSNBC and talk to Rachel Maddow, I am absolutely sure that he could get booked very quickly and very easily. He won't do it because he's afraid. He is a coward. He is a craven, bad person. Okay? That's David Miscavige. And so he won't come out and defend Scientology to the world at large. But more to the point, in addition to all of that, in addition to just his cowardly ways, he doesn't care right? Because if he did care, he actually would go do those things. But he doesn't care what the world at large generally thinks about Scientology. Uh, You know, he's got X number of years left uh, in his life. He's living a very comfortable existence. I mean, very comfortable. The man has no material needs whatsoever. If he wants to go vacation in Barbados, he's there tomorrow, if he wants to go you know, hang out at his flat in London or he wants to go hang out at his apartment building in, uh, behind the Author Services International in Hollywood, he's there, right? He's, he, the, the world is his oyster, right? He's got no problems as far as all that goes. Um, and his material needs are cared for for the rest of his life as far as he can tell and as far as he's concerned. And, and really, there isn't any reason to doubt that. I mean, there's all this abuse being exposed. But you know, to what result, right? We've talked on this channel about the difficulties with the IRS or with the government agencies coming after Scientology, and he's probably thinking, uh, you know, with good reason that he's really not going to be suffering much in the way of prosecution or anything like that, which is why we continue bringing the heat because he might, you know, we don't want this guy getting too comfortable, okay? I don't want to. I don't want to poo-poo all the efforts that are being done to bring Scientology to task because they are good efforts and they need to continue. We need to up the game even further. So it's not like, you know, there's no effect being created uh, or that all of this is useless or something. I I, I need to be clear about that. But as far as he's concerned, you know, he's all good. So all he needs to do is go out on a stage in front of his, uh, you know, adoring millions or, in, you know, in his case, a couple thousand people at a time and feed them what they want to hear, which is that Scientology is great, Scientology is booming, Scientology has never been doing better ever in, in its entire existence, and they eat it up, right, as, they, as fanatics do, right, as destructive cult followers are want to do. That's what they want to hear and he gives it to them and he gives it to them in droves. So as long as he's doing that and he's securing an inflow of enough money to keep the whole show going and keep himself comfortable, why would he feel the need to go out and talk to anybody else about what he's doing or defend Scientology, right? He doesn't feel that need. When he does, he'll do that. He will get out there and he will do it. I don't think he's ever going to feel that need, though, right? I think he's I think he's pretty safely ensconced in his little bubble world, and I think he's going to keep in that bubble world as the king of what he considers all he surveys, right? Um, so that's kind of my take on, on Miscavige and why you don't hear from him out in the big wide world, right? It's because he doesn't need to talk to you. He's talking to the Scientologists. They're happy with him. He's fine with the, all the money they give him. Uh, And that's that's his world. Stephen Willis I have a strong interest in finance and also have a passion for applying critical thinking to this sector. The number of people who get sold truly terrible financial products or outright defrauded is staggering, and seeing these people tricked out of their hard-earned money is one of the things which irks me most in life. The Scientology world looks to me like a place which financial manipulation or scams could easily occur. Not only to members but between members if you look at the history of financial fraud most instances seem to occur between members of community groups churches or families people seem to let their guard down assuming their neighbor has their back unlike the outside world the questions and basic critical thought which somebody would normally apply before walking into even a major financial institution seem to go out the window be it multi-level marketing high commission insurance products high-fee investment funds, or outright Bernie Madoff-type financial frauds, I picture Scientologists especially being prone to these sort of rip-offs. With the fierce group mentality and the much-admired group of OTs, I can just picture the potential for bad stuff to spread like wildfire. After all, if a successful OT7 approached you as a mere pre with an offer for a seemingly amazing investment, why wouldn't you sign up right away? Does this sort of activity happen in the Scientology community? Hey Stephen, thanks for the question and you bet this happens all the time in the world of Scientology. Um, I can't tell you how many times we had to uh, do Scientology, you know, bring it in house to the church and deal with conflicts between Scientologists over business investments, partnerships that had eroded, uh, bad deals. I mean, ugh, Reed Slacken. It comes to mind. He was an investor who ran a whole uh, Ponzi scheme within the world of Scientology. He defrauded millions and millions of dollars. He ended up going to jail. And then he got out, and I, th- I think he's dead now. Uh, and he wasn't the only one, not by a long shot, in the history of Scientology, of, of Scientologists taking advantage of other Scientologists financially. So uh, yeah, I even uh, one time sat on a committee of evidence, which is a fact-finding body that is sort of the highest level of justice court-type action you can take in Scientology. Uh, I I was a Sea Org member, and we had to do a committee of evidence on a dispute, a business dispute between Billy Sheehan, who was a a bassist and and professional uh, uh, musician, and some guy who had, you know, who had had some business dealing with him and tried to defraud him. And uh, and that was just one of hundreds that I saw over the years that I was in Scientology. So this goes on, you know, like all the time. And the, And the things that you said in your question are exactly why. People within this world of Scientology very definitely let their guard down when it comes to other Scientologists. There's tight... You know, there's an instant trust factor that occurs between members of a tight group like Scientology, right? Or um, I'm sure any group, not just destructive cults. And that trust can be taken advantage of and people do it all day, every day. Um, There was another guy, Kevin Trudeau. This was funny because after years of this kind of thing... So Kevin Trudeau was a guy who actually got kicked out of Scientology because of this, right? Because he he was just so obviously scammy that even the Scientologists were like, "Yeah, dude, no, uh, no, right?" And he tried to pawn off Scientology materials on on uh, shopping network channels and stuff. And he was he was getting a foray into that world, trying to you know scam some money. And they were just not interested. They just, just showed him the door. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. That all happened in L.A. So. Uh, so even Scientology, you know, in their own strange way, uh, tries to, you know, prevent financial fraud and stuff, uh, because they want all the money, of course. I mean, I mean, let's be let's be real, right? They they look for and deal with this sort of thing because all that money belongs to the church, as far as the church is concerned. Okay, so anyway, that's uh, so that's that's my answer on that one. I think that gives you a pretty a pretty good idea of what what goes on there. <laughs> It is time for flash answers. Sean Ash, is it common for Sea Org members to assist a customer in obtaining credit cards, then just turn around and expect the customer to spend the entire credit line on Scientology services? Oh yeah, oh yeah, all day every day, absolutely. Uh, and this this is just a this is just run of the mill standard activity for Scientology registrars or sale or that's the word for salespeople in Scientology, and they are in the groove on how to get people's credit line bumped up, how to get people new credit cards or other you know uh, investment lines or something like that. Of credit, and they they are really pro at that sort of thing. Even though they're not supposed to be dealing with that kind of thing, they get in there and do it because they got statistics to get up, and they got money to make, and they'll do it any way they need to. Turbineator, do the Sea Org members ever go to sea? Some do. Yeah, there is the Free Winds, which is a ship that sails around on the ocean blue uh, down in the Mediterranean, and there is. Um, training that gets done on that ship for Sea Org members. There's executive officer training and uh, there's a whole program there. And so Sea Org members from around the world will be sent to the ship. Not every Sea Org member gets this by a long shot, but certain select Sea Org members do and they go down there and they they do a few weeks of bilge cleaning and, and scrubbing and this sort of thing and study about how to be solid, sharp executives and the captain of the ship oversees their progress on that. And that's, that's another way that Sea Org members go to see, but I, for example, never did. I, the whole time I was in the Scientology, I never once even saw the free ones. I still haven't. So no, not everybody in the Sea Org goes to see. L. Quarrels. What is the Church of Scientology's political stance on gun control? Do Scientologists tend to lean more left or right? It really depends on the issue. Gun control generally is going to go in the direction of a a rather loose interpretation of the Second Amendment for the most part. But you get variations like you do in any group. And Scientology as a group, as a a church, doesn't really dictate a whole lot in terms of uh, Second Amendment. Um, and left and right, really, is a matter of convenience, depending on who, which politicians are backing Scientology's play in any area on any particular subject. So, you know, I would say, as a general thing, from my experience, that they tend conservative. They tend to swing in that direction. Uh, and that's because of the, you know, the, the, the whole rigid family structure, authoritarian sort of you know, uh, model of, of a conservative mindset, um, which is different from a more liberal, loose, you know, progressive mindset, uh, where everybody's kind of on equal footing with everybody else, right? That's not the conservative mindset. So, um, so it tends in that direction, because let's face it, Scientology is a destructive cult that is led by an authoritarian leader. So that, you know, kind of lends itself in that direction. Okay, so that is our show for this week. I hope that you found these answers educational, informative, and entertaining. Uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe to my channel if you haven't done so. Give me a like on this video if you haven't done so. And of course, if you like what I'm doing and you think that this has value and something that you would like to see me be able to spend more of my time invested in in order to bring you more and better uh, you know, content on this channel, then consider joining me on Patreon. All right, link is below. Talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.